Hello and welcome to Stories from the Ridge, Macaulay's podcast series. I'm Steve Hearn, Vice President for Advancement at Macaulay. And if you attended Macaulay any time during the past 43 years, I can assure you this is one podcast you'll want to listen to, and perhaps more than once. It's bittersweet because it features Chet Lesseur as he prepares to retire after 43 years on the Ridge. And in addition, Chet is joined by Bob Byers, an equally popular and beloved English teacher who retired two years ago in the midst of COVID, which prohibited us from giving him a proper send-off. On May 16, 2022, Chet and Bob sat down with head of school Lee Burns. They had no real agenda except to talk and reminisce, and you won't get too far into listening to this conversation before you realize how much Chet and Bob love being teachers. And they love the thousands of young men who they taught. These are master teachers in the highest sense of the word. They are the epitome of Macaulay's motto, honor, truth, and duty. Just hours before this podcast, Chet gave his last chapel talk with family and friends and a lot of former and present faculty in attendance. And oh yeah, (laughs) he had his four grandchildren right beside him. A link to the video of that talk is in the description to this podcast, and I encourage you to view that video. But first, let's sit in with Lee Burns, Chet, and Bob as they discuss their lives and careers on the ridge. Welcome to Stories from the Ridge. I'm Lee Burns, head of school, and what a pleasure it is to be sitting down with two pillars of the Macaulay School Chet Lesseur and Bob Byers. And earlier today, it's May 16th, 2022, Chet gave a beautiful talk in chapel reflecting on his years at Macaulay. Got two standing ovations uh, from the student body. Very, very well deserved. And it's great to have you, Bob, back on campus. Now, you retired a couple of years ago during COVID when we weren't necessarily all together. And Indeed. Couldn't, couldn't honor you in, the, in the, all the ways that we wished. But really, it's nice to have you here as well and want to just reflect for a few minutes with the two of you to think about your time at macaulay your stories here what you take with you and so forth and chad i want to start with you and in recent weeks and actually throughout the whole year as people have known that you're going to retire a lot of talk about you and people say so many wonderful things about you but one of the words that comes up over and over and over again is nice he's the nicest person here he's one of the nicest people i've ever met um, how did you become so nice? <laughs> That's a funny question. Bob laughing over there. No, I agree. I agree. I, and I'm really, you know, sitting here thinking about being nice. I think most of our stories of who we are go back to childhood. And I think what probably happened, I can remember some situations where Um, I was with people who were not nice. I was with adult figures who were not kind. I had teachers of my own who did not treat students the way I felt they should have been treated. Um, And so there was some kind of interior message that happened, you know, deep down inside where it said, if I ever get to be an adult and get to be in a position where I talk to people, then I I will try to be different. And how did you get to Macaulay? What was your story? I, mean, I know you were a student. 
Um, you're an alumnus. But what is it that brought you back here as a faculty member and then, and then to stay for 43 years? So it, I was a student at St. Andrew's School, Boca Raton, which is a big tennis school. They're on the top five in the country. I was there for four or five years, and but I was the the um, proverbial kid who falls in the cracks, and really had no identity, no peg to put myself any kind of self worth on. And my father was going with Marion Gaston, uh, flying out to an FCA national board conference, and um, they started talking. And Marion Gaston was a big Chattanooga guy, a tennis player. Uh, and they and Marion just said, "Hey, listen, we've got this great school in Chattanooga called Macaulay." He never mentioned Baylor, <laughs> never mentioned any. So it was just Macaulay, and you know that next year I was here. Right. And Bob, what about you? What was your story in coming to Macaulay as a faculty member? Okay, uh, <clears throat> may I chip in first though and say that in addition to Chet being super nice, he is the most stubborn and most competitive person I've ever known. <laughs> Oh, um, I will get you back. Yeah, you will. Uh, my wife, Robin, actually roomed with uh, Ann Braley, who is Houston Patterson's daughter at UT. And when I was applying around to schools, she goes, well, why don't you apply to this school? But my mistake was I thought Houston, or she thought Houston was the headmaster. So I wrote the introductory letter completely wrong. But uh, they were very okay. gracious about it. Uh, and when Spencer hired me, there was no housing on campus. And then all of a sudden, Chet Lasorda was promoted to the head of McClellan Dorm. And so I got his apartment in North Hutch. Okay. And we'll talk about McClellan Dorm in just a little bit. But I want to get Bob back to you and describing Chet. I know the two of you were colleagues in the English department and close personal friends as well. And so I want to ask you to how you would describe Chet and then Chet... I'm going to ask you yes. about Bob. So you'll actually get the last yes. word in this part of the conversation. I'm thrilled but. about that. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> I'm, gonna, I'm not going to be sarcastic here. Chet was a tremendous colleague. He will be a uh, tremendous lunch date next year, I suspect. But uh, Chet is the kind of guy who, you know, when you're trying to get at how, what, what makes him so nice, Chet shows up for everything chet supports everybody and that that was certainly more true with the students probably than anyone else but even among the faculty chet uh you know he's the guy who's in the hallway how you doing uh there were a few tough times when he was department head where he shielded the rest of us in the department from uh some <clears throat> challenging situations <laughs> uh so I have nothing but the utmost respect for him. Chet, what about you? Do you think about Bob as a colleague for all those years in the English department and the school in general and, and just as a friend as well? How do you what, – what words and even stories come to mind about Bob? First off, he's a wretched human being. <laughs> I thought that would be second. That's really all i got to say. I thought you were a nice person. We're just saying how nice you are. And <laughs> I know. You say that about Bob. i got to dispel all those. All those. Bob is and was, my gosh, he's the leader of the department. I mean, it didn't matter what title he had. He came up with the creativity. He put together the presentations for, for conferences, NCTE conferences. He's the one who 
I mean, you know, you, there's always, you get a group of people together and they're like-minded and there's one person, if he talks and says something, you listen. That's Bob. I mean, he just speaks and we all, we all agree and didn't matter what our titles were and then it happened. And how would you say the English department is different now than 20 years ago, 25, 30 years ago? What's, um, what's different about the department? You know, I, I'm going to say it's not different. I, I, I used to think that it was different, but uh, I, I've always felt that that's the closest knit of all the departments. And, you know, so excited that Stuart King is in there this year. Uh, you know, Sam, you've got, kind of a, you've got kind of a younger crowd than us. You've got Cleve hanging on. But, uh, <laughs> you know, it's, it's sort of a continuum. There's always somebody from the previous generation to kind of give you that perspective. And, and, the, and the new guys who have come in uh, are wonderful. Tolar's doing great. I talked to Eamon yesterday. He sounds like he's had a really good year. So I think it's – Chet, you disagree. I don't know. I, th I think it's very similar. I, now, I, I, I will say we thought we were better. I'm not going <laughs> to say that, but, but I don't think it's true. You know, I, I remember way back when we had those power interviews, and we would um, get to the English um, teachers would get to be on that committee. And we, we had one basic rule. After years of doing these things, we um, looked at each other and said, you know, we have all these questions and all these really tough um, kinds of criteria to, to look at. Um, but there's really only one um, question that we need to ask each other, and it's this. Is this somebody we want to go out and hang with? And that was it. And that became our, you know, so when we'd hire somebody, I, a lot of times they have very advantageous school, um, 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 you know, pluses that they could bring. But it would always come down to, is this somebody we want to go on a trip with? Is this somebody we want to really help and, and um, foster their growth as a teacher? So both of you are master teachers. How do you get boys to love to read and write? Why are you nodding at me? Because I'd love to work <laughs> off and you know, off of your stuff. <clears throat> well, I, I I think for the reading part, and I, I of course I can't speak to this year because I don't know, but you know there are all sorts of trends, political even these days about what students should or shouldn't read. We always tried to pick books that we thought would especially interest the boys i mean that that wouldn't you say chet that was that was at the top of the heap and you know even with classical literature i think boys this age don't really connect with king lear like they would with hamlet you know so it, it's kind of a simple choice like that and chet what books over the book or books over the years did you most enjoy teaching that's a great question scarlet letter can you believe that we actually taught the Scarlet Letter for so many years? We taught Crime and Punishment. We taught so many books that, that seem just um, inscrutable. Um, the ones, I guess, that... Cause Could we I all, say a word about Crime and Punishment? Because Lee may not know this. Yeah. We taught Crime and Punishment to not, not to AP kids, to regular juniors. And the day that my class finished the book they all ran to the window and hurled it into the bushes below <laughs> oh, that's great i've never heard that story 
And can you believe I actually tried to teach Sound and the Fury to regular juniors to that one? I think they didn't even have to run to the window. They threw it in the trash can on the way. Um, I guess, I guess yeah, I, the, some of the books that I really love teaching, it's, it's funny, the ones that you see that we still keep teaching. So for me, it would be Bright Lights, Big City. Mm-hmm. It would be Gatsby, Gatsby still works yeah. so well. I love um, All the Pretty Horses. I love um, um, One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest. It's funny the ones that you just kind of keep it. And then there's, how about this? I had the best experience with Ma Rainey's Black Bottom this year, and I had an incredible experience with The Crucible, you know, with just Ninth Honors or AP. I mean, so you there's just a whole lot of boys. And I think when it really comes down to is not so much the material, but how we approach it and our enthusiasm for it and how we get them engaged. Chad, I remember in your ninth grade English class, I remember you teaching Lord of the Flies. <laughs> and I love that that book, and I know that's still taught here. And such a such a blessing it was for me to be in your class that year, and then for my son Arthur to have you for two years. I just love the, the continuity, the multi-generational impact that you've had on so many boys here. And, and not just in the classroom, but in the dorm and on the fields. And we'll talk about your coaching and uh, talk a little bit about, uh, I know you're a tennis coach. You're actually my varsity tennis coach for several years. You coached baseball here uh, for a long time. But talk about your memories and your approach to mentoring boys through coaching. You know, it's funny. I was thinking, I mean, obviously so much of my life has been in the classroom, but probably some of the strongest memories I, I will have will be coaching eighth and ninth grade baseball in, in, in playing against Ralph Potter's Baylor teams and Johnny Green's Baylor teams. And um, just, there, I don't think there's much more fun than, than being behind and getting in a competitive situation. I remember one time I just, we were behind against Ralph's team at Baylor and I just told everybody to pack their bags. We were, we were leaving because they were obviously so unmotivated. And they just kind of looked at me, and, and they really started packing their bags, and the parents were wondering what the heck was going on. We came back to win. What are some particular memories that come to mind in being a dorm head? Um, I think at that age, a parent feels um, most um, maybe responsible, most attached, most afraid of sending their ninth-grade boy off. Um, I remember one a call I got from uh, Doctor Walker, you know, because he had he had his his son in, in in the dorm, and he was, you know, he was doing fabulously well, but just massive concern: is this happening? Patsy got on the phone. Is this taking place? And, and I think that's a great kind of a um, model for most of the calls. Can't remember a specific incident, but remember so much concern. Will you go check? Will you go make sure he's okay? We haven't heard from him. Um, can you just put some eyes on him? Can you, he lost his grandfather. He lost um, somebody really close to him. He's really down. He got cut from the, you know, from whatever ball team it was. Please go talk, bring him in. Can you just feed him something? So yeah, those are him. And I'm sure that, and I know that Susan had a big role as well in you know being you know a mother so to speak to the students who are there and your your partner as well and talk about sort of her role and the role of of spouses um, in the dorm and just having that family atmosphere there. Well, she put me to shame. 
I mean, I would think that I'm an okay communicator, okay in terms of caring about boys and all that. And then I bring a boy in who was really struggling, and I thought I gave him my best shot, and I thought I was tremendous, and and he wasn't moved. He wasn't. And then he'd go in and talk to Susan, and then he'd start crying, and he'd, <laughs> you know, give her a hug, and she'd kind of say things softer and nicer, and I just was kind of going, I just gave my best shot, and my wife spends one minute, and bingo. And what was it like raising a family on the campus? I know with you know Jake and Hadley. And um, yeah, I've got memories of seeing I mean, you know, your two children when they were three, four, five years old um, on the campus. But talk about, talk about raising a family here on the campus. They, um, I mean, they would go out with friends who were members of Lookout Mountain Golf and Country Club or Chattanooga Golf and Country. And these kids would turn to them and say, you know, don't you want to be a part of a country club? And they would say, absolutely not. <laughs> they lived in Macaulay. That was their country club, far better than theirs. I, I don't think our kids, I mean, the reason why that I wanted to give that talk to the student body was obviously to thank the students this morning, but really for my own two kids to see, you know, once again, to experience Macaulay, the place where, where their whole childhood is, for them to kind of breathe the air, to see that, you know, the teachers that they loved, or some of them are still here, the atmosphere is still here, that the aura um, they both were talking about a lot at lunch today. And what did that feel like? You're sitting up on, you're up on stage. You've got your grandchildren seated there. You've got your children side of the stage. You've got, you know, alumni have come in from around the country or are out there. I'm listening in. You know, someone drove in from Chicago <laughs> yesterday. Um, just what, what was that? What was that moment like? Knowing, hey, this is the last time I'm going to be, you know, while employed at Macaulay. Um, really you know, giving a talk and so forth. What was that like this morning? Um, you didn't choke up as much as I thought you would. I know. I really, I really have tried not because I, you know, I cared so much about the message in the um, people. I, I just, if I'd start choking up and if I thought about it, I probably would have stopped for two minutes. Um, so I, you literally, and you both probably know this, all three, all of us in this room, you have to focus on something else. Um, but I'll tell you what, it was um, just the, um, the love that I felt from those students and the love that I felt from the guests. And I was, I think I was just so happy to put students with people that I, I, I it was just a really overwhelming feeling of happiness yeah. up there, but nerve wracking because I kept thinking, for sure that one of my grandkids was going to be picking their nose the whole time that and, and I wasn't going to be able to see it and all the boys are going to be laughing and hmm. thinking it was the funniest thing in the world I wouldn't have had a clue what was going on and so um, or they'd pitch head first off the stage and kind of chasing so, so yeah but they were they my grandkids were great well both of you have been mentors to I mean countless boys here for decades who mentored the two of you Bob as you think about you know either as a faculty member here, administrator, even before you came here, or beyond Macaulay, who is, who's influenced and who's been a mentor to you? Well, I, I have quite a list there. Uh, <clears throat> my first unofficial mentor was a man named Bill O'Neill who left after – he was a fellow English teacher. He, he only was there one year that I was there. Uh, Steve George was the department head. He lives across the street from me. I still see him as kind of a mentor, and in fact, uh, 
he retired at 62 and that and that was where well, as did Spencer and Kirk uh, but that's where the idea came into my head that you know well, maybe go out a little bit early I was kind of following Steve's lead on that uh, I'll add Chet Kemmer Cleve John Lambert uh, you know it's such a collegial bunch um, and one of the things I really liked about the department and that sort of mentorship idea is that there <clears throat> there wasn't any hoarding of knowledge. There was a lot of, you know, sharing, hey, I've, I've taught this book before, why don't you try this kind of thing. And so uh, a, a little, Ken Henry was especially good at gathering that sort of uh, material, maybe more than uh, dishing it out, but... <laughs> No, that that it, it, you know, I, it probably wasn't a mentor so much as just uh, a, a lot of colleagues who saw themselves as equals and not uh, competitors in any way. Chet, what about you? Who would you consider some of the mentors throughout your life? I would have to say the same thing. My father, you know, he would he would stand out. Um, but it, it's really weird when when people ask, you know. A lot of times in faculty meetings, find a teacher, write about a teacher who really meant that I don't really have anybody. And so for the, all those out there who don't really, didn't really have a mentor, I, I just found it exactly as Bob said. It was the English department. I mean, led by Bob, frankly. But then John Lambert and all this, and a guy named, a really funny name who I was the mentor, actual, but Dan Hatfield who was back there. I mean, we, we all joke. Ken Henry likes to take credit for a lot of these handouts, but they all came, they from, all came Dan. from Hatfield. Yeah. They all came from Hatfield. And so, um, um, yeah, but it really is. It's such a group. And because of that, it was so non-competitive. We didn't, we just wanted to see each other succeed. You know, it's, I've heard that both of you talk a lot about the collegiality um, in the English department. What makes for an effective Macaulay teacher? And for both of you to have been here as long as you have, as long as you were, um, what is it that, what is it that kept you here that made you so effective and beloved? <clears throat> my my approach not really intentional, just sort of because of who I am. I I never tried to take on a persona. I just tried. I just tried to always speak to the boys as equals. You know, not like hey, we're all friends. You know, but just. I'm not going to talk down to you, um, and I think that's what worked most for me. I agree, and I, I remember it's really funny because I think I'm looked at as one of the easier graders in the English department. You are, you know, but <laughs> I, I didn't <laughs> used to be. It was really I was really I was the guy who they always joked about one of the best papers I've ever read. This thing is sensational. Um, I've never seen such. Um, such sophisticated language, uh, B minus. You know, I mean, that was that was my reputation. So it's, I laugh now that I'm not that teacher anymore. You know that I'm, you know, I really laugh at that. Um, but remind me of the question again because I was just thinking about that. that yeah. Issue. So what is it that makes a yeah. teacher at Macaulay effective and beloved? I would. I. That's a. It's a wonderful question, and I would go first. Um, you you need i think the most important quality is to really care about the students and we say that a lot but we have to do it and they have to feel it and they have to see that it's real 
and they have to see that happening when they're in bad moods and they wake up and they fall asleep in class and they need to see it. Now, before we go feel good kind of thing, you have to have knowledge. You have to have an aura of respect, which I don't think any teacher gets for the first four, five, six years. You just, you, I mean, I think the mistake I see, I see some teachers come in and they feel like they have to be really, Drill sergeant, marine tough, um, be so you know just difficult to deal with, and and they have to create fear. I think that's a I think that's a mistake. I get it, but I think it's a mistake. I agree. Big mistake. I think they have to create trust rather than fear, because yeah. Lee, you <clears throat> you would not believe the things the boys tell us in English papers uh, because of the the trust that is established. It's it's. It's really unbelievable to me when I think back over some of the oftentimes very painful things that they, you know, that they will reveal to someone who is just, you know, trying to teach them Huck Finn or something. But, you know, there's something about the paper that triggers, you know, personal connection. Yeah, and to me it speaks to, I think, the greatest strength of Macaulay. It's the relationships that students have with their teachers. And when you when you know that this teacher knows about me, cares me, understands me, loves me, the way students did for you, they'll they'll open up. And boys aren't naturally wired and inclined to be vulnerable and authentic, but to share you know, to share that, pour out their hearts, it really is a beautiful and powerful thing for you know for young men to do. And I commend the two of you for having the relationships and being the sorts of teachers that they did that over and over again. Well, I don't think we're unique in that way. I, I, you know, when I, I think maybe the first week that I was here, Spencer McCauley took me aside and he said, you know, Bob, you can't go to everything. If you do, you'll burn yourself out. So you need to pick and choose what you really want to, you know, sort of support outside of the classroom. And that, that was great advice for me. Um, and it's something that I always said to the new teachers when, you know, in those opening sessions at the start of school just you know you've got to have the boys know that you are at their games not all of them because you can't go to you know at their games at their performances at their plays i think that has a lot to do with how the relationships are built and so along those lines i think you're speaking to maintaining a sense of wellness and balance in our own lives and promoting that in student lives how did you do that as a faculty member, as an administrator here, you know, to have that wellness and balance for yourselves. And then how do you do that? How do you promote that in the boys here? I think I was, I, I, I was pretty weird. Um, I think that's an incredible line. I think that's a tremendous goal. Um, way back when for me, somehow I create, I just, I think I just changed wellness and balance for me to be, having an impact, caring about others, giving myself away, that. So I'm not a great one to talk about that. I mean, I'll still, you know, talk to two or three kids a night and go over their papers, and that will last till 9.30 or 10 o'clock. Um, and, and yet I, I get out of that tremendous feeling. I mean, I really was, I just really thank God above that I feel like I was able to take, to be a really, to be a good dad, to be a good husband, to be a good teacher, 
um, simply because I had so, such enjoyment of what I was doing. I, I, I found it difficult as well. Um, <clears throat> but what I, I think I followed sort of the Kenny Scholl model, which is, you know, when you're doing the job, you're all in. And then he would say, like, you know, during the summer, even though we had summer hours, he would say, you've, you've got to take the time that you need. So I, you know, when we're on, I, I feel like I needed to be on. If and could, I didn't mind it. And, and, and I guess the one thing I would add to that, because you were talking to Chet about being on campus, I was on campus for 10 years and still live close by, but the ability to involve my family in so many Macaulay activities meant that, okay, so you're, you know, you're at a football game on a Friday night, but so is your family. If you could go back and redo, relive any particular moment or event or season at Macaulay, what would that be? Do you mean like because it was so great? Because it was so great or maybe because I'd want to go back and do it differently. Oh, Either okay. way. Okay. Well, I'll offer one that was so great. Um, <clears throat> you know, of course, there's the ebb and flow of the Baylor-Macaulay football rivalry, but there was a streak where we were losing. I, I don't know how many we lost in a row, but Grady Bergner was the head coach, and the game was played over at Baylor. Chet, what, what do you think? We won that game 10-7, 14-7? Sounds about right. Uh, but it was it, – I mean, I, I think it's the greatest sporting event I've ever been to. It was just – such a release of you know so many years of frustration and uh you know what it did for the school was just fantastic yeah. i'm going to say something a little bit strange too i think two two different comments one was for most maybe half of my macaulay career i um when people ask me what i did and i said i was a teacher i always somehow felt like it wasn't enough I also felt um, for part of my career that I needed to really matter, to really be somebody um, substantive, that I needed to have an administrative title by my name. Um, and I realized, and I, and, I, and I realized it years ago, and of course it, 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 it was brought home more this morning, that that's, that's just a lie. I mean, you just, you just show up with who you got and you care about people and you work at such a fabulous place like Macaulay and you give your life away and you're all in, as Bobby said. And the next thing you know, 43 years go by and you, I, I, I don't think there's anything I can think of quickly that I would change. So lucky. A year or so ago, we had a podcast series where we interviewed a number of faculty members talking about the nature of teaching and learning today, the nature of boys, how they're how they're the same, perhaps how they're different. As the two of you are have now retired or in the process of retiring, reflect for a moment on the extent to which you think boys are similar or different than in prior generations. Well, I mean, strictly speaking, as an English teacher. I think we all know they're not the natural readers that they necessarily once were, probably because of some connection to social media and other distractions like that. 
but in a way, I, I don't know. They're all, they're almost kind of like sweeter kids at the same time. They're. I, I just remember in the in the final few years, I, I maybe it's it swept the entire school, but you know, this everybody would like thank me for the class at the end of class, and sometimes I'm thinking, what are you thanking me for? <laughs> but uh, I, well, I don't know, Chet. What do you think? Yeah, I, I think that... I and mean, you've um, said many times this year how great the kids that you were teaching were, almost like they were the best bunch you'd ever had. You remember Yo's line always, they just keep getting... It's better, better every, every year. Every year. <laughs> and so um, we would, you know, we'd all chuckle and listen to Yo say that. And then, um, it's true. I mean, you know, the Honor Scholars Program has be- made the biggest difference to me of, of anything Macaulay's ever done. Um, but, but these kids that we get, they're, they're kids. Uh, yes, they're different social media issues. We're always talking about it in the classroom, trying to get them to refrain, to cut down their minutes. But you know what? When, it, when you come right down to it, they're boys sitting at a desk who want to learn, but they're only really going to learn from you if you can figure out ways to get them engaged and get them to care about what they're... And once you can do that, and that's what a good teacher does... I mean, there's no, there's no limit. I mean, these kids are ju- they're the same that they've always been, and they're. But I, maybe they're. You know, it's hard to say they're they're more talented because there's so many talented kids in the past. But these kids just gobble up um, everything worthwhile. And they've made a B plus a bad grade. Yes, <laughs> which oh my you gosh. know, in 1983, a B plus yeah. was a heck of a good grade. Yeah. We'd have great inflation <laughs> faculty meetings, you know, where we talk about that. There's a one piece of advice you could give to Macaulay students of today or in the upcoming years. What, what one thing would you share with them? Can we go back and forth? Yeah, I'm sure we'll keep. Do you want to go? Okay. Well, I, I don't know if it's advice, but I, you know, uh, I think we always encourage them, stay in touch, you know, come back, all that. I, I hope that they know how real that is, that, uh, you know, it's funny when you run into like a, a former student who gave you a hard time or had a serious DC offense or something, and when, when they show up, that's the thing that's like right in front of them. We don't have any memory of that, you know. It's there's no like, oh, you're the kid who did X, um, and so I, I, I think just come back, or we're, you know, I, I what I've discovered recently is that if you want to see Macaulay alums sort of in social media, LinkedIn is the place to go. That's where most of them are, and there are very few trolls. <clears throat> But when you come back, do remind us of your names because right. we're old and decrepit and fragile and we forget. And, <laughs> and some of you look very different than yeah, we you look. Yeah, most certainly. I, I think the other thing I would say is, I mean, you've got we've got a campus of, of faculty and people here and staff, you know, that they're, they're just incredible and they care. And so please get to know us. I know it's strange and having to talk to adults and it's not an easy thing to do. But I would say, you know, that's when we say get out of your comfort zones, that would be a very specific thing. Just pick one teacher and just stay after class for one minute and just make a comment, and you never know where that's going to lead. I know it sounds cheesy, Lee, but uh, 
I, I still believe the honored code is absolutely real. It's something that I learned from Macaulay, uh, and I know my children learned it at GPS, and I, I, I always feel like that is, is something that should be a part of a, a Macaulay student, no matter how old he gets. Great. Bob, so it's been two years almost since you retired. What have you done in those two years, and then what advice do you have to Chet about retirement. Talk about rejection, Bob. <laughs> yeah, so I've, st- I, I've been writing. Uh, I'm actually <laughs> writing my third novel, none of which are published. Uh, a bunch of poems, a bunch of stories. Probably closing in on 100 rejections, but that's, that's part of the game. Um, but that's mostly what I've spent my time doing. COVID has kind of limited my ability to travel a bit. And what the novel that you're working on right now? Can you share with us the theme of it? Well, I, I, I'll, I'll answer it in two ways. I probably won't, but uh, <laughs> each of the three books have some at least tangential uh, use of the Macaulay School. I call it the Ames School, uh, but borrow a lot of yep. the. Uh, and they're not well. The first one is kind of about the school, but what I'm really proud about it is that it's completely made up it's not like one that you flip through like well who's this person right they're, they're, all, all the characters are are original but uh yeah, that's what i've been doing and i think what i would say to chet is uh let's have lunch <laughs> <laughs> which we've done weekly for 30 years you know i've heard from people who've said that when they've worked at an institution for a long long time that they can have so much of their their identity wrapped up in their job and the institution they've been a part of more than just the routines of every day, you know, coming to work or so forth. But really it, it really just, you know, like at Macaulay, it, it gets into our DNA and so forth. So how do you think about sort of unwinding your daily connection with Macaulay and sort of thinking about what's next for you, not just what you'll do, but just the, the idea of, of Macaulay not, not working at Macaulay? It's a good question. Obviously, I have no answer for that because I've always been someone who flew by the seat of my pants and I, I'm one week ahead and that's about all I've ever been. Um, but I think I would say um, I'm, you know, I'm not sure I ever will. Um, I I'll, think I'll, that's right. I, I think I you just, you know, I'm so proud. I mean, I, I think, you know, Macaulay has such a great name around town. And with, I, I think I, I, it's funny, the older I've gotten, the more proud I've become that, that I am linked to Macaulay, you know, just one of those many people who have loved it and given their lives to it. Um, but but I, I, I think it's in my fabric. I, you're all in. I don't, it, you're right. I'll be very strange I haven't even given any thoughts. I've got a lot of college recs to do. I'll be here most of June doing those, and um, I, you know, I think I think there'll, there'll come a time when I when I'm done with college recs and I look out and I go, "Oh my gosh, what am I going to do?" I know Susan doesn't want to spend every minute with me. I'm positive of that. <laughs> so I have well, to figure something. Well, I, w- I was going to say just to echo Chet, Chet's talk today. Uh, even when you're retired, it it comes down to the boys. I mean, in the last month, I've been to a Macaulay alum wedding in New York. I've been to a funeral of uh, the mother of a couple of alums in Myrtle Beach. Um, 
My younger daughter's godfather is a is an alum. It's I, I think those are the connect. Even as you unwind from you know you don't miss the department meetings, the faculty meetings. No offense, none of that stuff. But but you don't unwind from the relationships that you had with the boys. Relationships, the heart of Macaulay, I think, and you two men have just poured yourselves into the young men of Macaulay for decades. And I mean, the impact of that, it's, we can't see, we can't measure. I mean, every once in a while you get glimpses of it, I think, but I just think about just the great role models that the two of you were and are to so many young men, helping them become better men and great, not just writers and readers and thinkers and those things, but really just men of character and integrity and having a vision and passion for life and seeing what it means to be, treated with compassion and love and respect and the things that you all did. I think that's just a great, great legacy that both of you have here. And it's been so nice to sit down with both of you and, and know that you'll always be a part of the Macaulay family on behalf of you know, thousands of boys and your colleagues. Thank you for what you've done Thank and you. meant it's to been Macaulay an honor. and to have sat down with you here this afternoon on Stories from the Ridge. You have been listening to Stories from the Ridge, a podcast series about the happenings of the faculty, students, and alumni of Macaulay School. Stories from the Ridge is produced by the Macaulay Communications Department. If you have any comments, or if you have a suggestion for a future podcast, please let us know by sending us an email to info at macaulay.org. That's info at m-c-c-a-l-l-i-e dot org, or call us at 423 423- Four nine three five six one five. I'm Brandon Roberts with Macaulay's Communication Department. Thanks for listening.